countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the late-night show host running gag to my Matt Damon of board games, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? Ahoy, ahoy. I'm doing good. Man, you're really starting to make those into some perplexing combinations of syllables and vowels. Like, those, that, that was a tough one. Uh, well, you made it a challenge, so now I have to challenge you. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Challenge accepted. Yeah, you know, you make it a competition. All of a sudden, now, now I have to like, <laughs> what is it? What is it? You served me, so now I have to serve you. I don't know what's going on. Oh, you've nothing. been served. Well, as always, let's get this episode started off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys help us keep the lights on, the servers running, and a constant stream of questionable choices flowing into your ears. And Jonathan, once again, because I think we did this last year, but I don't care. It's great. Happy National World Trick Shot Day. Yeah! This is the first Tuesday of December. The world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, the originators of the trick shot, bring this celebration to give enthusiasts a chance to showcase their most impressive shots. I have very fond memories of the Harlem Globetrotters. I went to see them several times as a child. I, I, I don't think I ever saw them live. To come oh, really? Think of it. I saw yeah. them a couple times live, and then, of course, there was the Scooby-Doo specials, which will forever live in my heart. <laughs> because if you can't solve crime with basketball tricks i mean what the hell good are you didn't they do like an episode of gilligan's island where they were up against robots <laughs> i think so yeah i okay. think so anyway use that hashtag people hashtag world trick shut day and let's hop into our first segment. That is, of course, our off the shelf segment. That is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of our shelves into our tables players, etc., and most importantly, into our hearts and minds. Robert, where do you want to start today? I don't know. I, I Well, I, our list last time was absurdly long because we took a month off, but I, I feel like my list is short this week. Uh, I don't have a ton of new stuff. I have a ton of stuff we've talked about before and some things that I can't talk about yet simply because they haven't been completed. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You want to just go down and, and order on the script here? You want to just start with board games for once? All right, do it, man. All right, let's you, do it. You do you, boo. Let's do this. Uh, well, you and I got to play some Seven Wonders, and I finally broke my losing streak of, I don't know, 698 rounds. And apparently that broke the game because we tried to fire up another one, and then it, it got quit because not enough people joined. And when I joined, like four people had. So I don't know what happened. That's weird. I didn't even get a, an option to join the new one. Yeah. It said you were there. You were the only one who hadn't joined when I joined, actually. I thought oh, that's I was... so weird. Yeah, I never yeah. even got a notice or anything. And then when I went today to try and, and log in, it just said there was nothing pending. Yeah, yeah. No, it said the game was ended due to lack of players. It was bizarre. Ray, start it up again. I finally had a good round. I finally had a good round. Playing that over and over, it's getting hard. It's getting hard. Yeah, well, and with that many players, it's it's tough. You can just literally get an, a no-option shuffle of the cards where you just nobody's leaving you anything worth a damn. That's true. That's true. But I like I like that game with more players. Oh, no, it, it, it's best with more players, without a doubt. I'm not, I'm not discounting the player count. I'm just saying that sometimes you just get shafted. Yeah, when you won, we, we were, like, actually surprised. <laughs> we're like, Jonathan won? What? 
How dare all of you? Yeah. A pox upon all your lands. My empire will rule supreme from here on out. Right. I didn't win by a small margin. I tromped you guys for yeah. once. So, Jonathan, let me uh, let me let me ask you a question here. You, you say you're going to win from now on, but your record previous to this says otherwise. I'm just saying. The empire is risen, Robert, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, it will not mm-hmm. be quelled. All right. Peasant. <laughs> so that's it. We're retiring. I'm the reigning champion. Congratulations. I win You've seven won wonders one. forever. What's your win-loss ratio? I, I'm still like Shh. seven and 13 or something. Let it happen. And that's all of those games are with you guys. All of them. Seven and 13. Do you have a moment to discuss your car's extended warranty? No. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about some other stuff that we've been uh, playing. Was there anything else on your list? No. All right, well, I've got a couple. Uh, Descent, we talked about it. We reviewed it. Uh, Ray and I are continuing our playthrough, and um, I've got a second playthrough going with the the kids, and it's uh, been fun. I like Descent. I like it a lot, actually. I got a new uh, package in the mail the other day, something I had completely forgotten that I had ordered, and in fact, I think I ordered it during the show one episode, if I recall correctly. Uh the Transformers deck building game. Oh, the one that's gone? What do you mean the one that's gone? I thought I thought Hasbro canceled that. Well, it apparently is not canceled enough to make it to my doorstep because I'm staring right at it. Oh, what are you staring at? Transformers deck building game? Oh, I thought no, it's the card game. That's right. That's what they canceled. Deck building. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. That that yeah, that that died. Uh no, this is uh, from Renegade Studios. So we'll, we'll, we'll be reviewing it soon enough. Uh, needless to say, it came, and because it's Transformers, I ripped it open and I'm having some good times with it. So, um, yes, more to come. I'm not going to dive into it too deeply now. Uh, but, yeah, it's cool, and the art is great. Been prepping Unmatched and Ankh, um, which are a couple of titles uh, relatively soon on our review wheel. And then I continue to play Sideshow Swap with my family, and we are having a great time with it. It's super awesome. Nice. Nice. Yeah, there's something to be said about a, a a relatively quick game that you can whip out with your family and it's not tough to teach. Like people just get it. It's super cool. Plus if you get a copy, it's like it's ridiculously super cheap. It's like 15 bucks, I think, at Target. All right, well, let's move on to movies and TV. Man, I got a mixed bag. How about you? Uh all you, adequate on my end. Do you want to work <laughs> good good to bad or bad to good? If we do good to bad, okay, when you get to, like, right in the middle, that's when I'll do my four, because that's how I feel about all of them. Okay, so I'm going to start with, I'm going to start with bad, then I'm going to go to so bad it's good, and then I'm going to go to mediocre so far, and then I'm going to go to excellent. So you jump in whenever you want. Okay. I watched the first episode of Wheel of Time on Amazon. I've heard on, from more than one person on Twitter that the f- you 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 got to soldier a through the first episode. Hot mess. I've heard you got to soldier through that first episode. Wow. Two and three are are much improved. Let me tell you, if I'm basing my opinion off this one episode, I'm not making it to two. Now, mind you, I'm gonna give it the whole go. You know, like I'm gonna watch the entire season. I'm I I this should be right up my alley, but this episode is poorly constructed, even more poorly edited. And you can't tell what the hell's going on because the friggin' 
camera shaking like it's on a 9.0 Richter scale earthquake. It's ridiculous, man. You can't tell what's going on. The first 45 minutes of the episode are simultaneously boring and slow and yet making huge jumps in time. You can't tell what character's what. They don't do a good job of differentiating them. There's absolutely no character development. I'm supposed to care for these people, but they're just empty cardboard cutouts. And then all of a sudden, in the last like 10 minutes of the episode, there's this giant battle that we have no context for. We have no idea why these people are even fighting. And then, hey, yeah, I'm here for you four. Let's go. Have an adventure. Ah, we have an entire episode to make. It's dumb. It was a, it was a terrible, terrible pilot. I'm going to watch the rest of it. I've heard the same things that you have. But man, that is a terrible first effort. Well, it is from the gas station on the edge of town bargain DVD bin network. So streaming network. So what do you really want? Yeah, man. Expect? I don't know. I but they've produced I, some I, good stuff too. Like that Jack I know, Ryan no, no. show was really good. Yeah, I thought it was all right. But the first, but, se- like, the first season was really good. The second season was odd. But then we also got like uh, you know, the boys. And I like the boys, don't get me wrong, but that that show is something you'd find in the bargain bin <laughs> at, at a because tr- if that was made in any other era, that would be very grindhousey. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, without a doubt. I don't yeah. know. I'm just saying the first episode is is a true chore. So I will I will see it through to the end of the season. I, I I'm promising you that. I'm just letting you know that this, the first one was a ouch. All right, all right. I'm just gonna lay this out right here. So there's this theory that genres are kind of on their way out when parody starts with them, you know, like Shaun of the Dead and and uh, uh, that other zombie movie where everybody called them each other city names and I can't remember the name of it. Oh, z- uh, uh, Zombieland? Yeah, Zombieland. And and zombie zombie movies lasted a little while longer, but they were kind of on their way out. And I'm just saying, man, between Deadpool and The Boys, we're, we're starting to get some pretty decent superhero parodies and I, th- I think the superhero genre is kind of like on its way out of the top. Because we still get zombie movies, and some of them are okay, but it wasn't like it was. But Wheel of Time is a superhero. It's like hard fantasy. We we were we were talking about other things, and it just reminded me of. I, I said the boys, and I remi- it reminded me that it it is a superhero parody. So yeah, just, just saying, just saying. I just wanted to, that. That's a stray thought. I'm just gonna lay it out here. I'm gonna leave it alone. You're probably not wrong. All right, moving right along. Uh, next, so bad it's good. I really enjoyed Underwater. <laughs> I've heard about that. I really need to watch it. I. Look, Spoiler alert, I, I know it. I got it wrecked. I know there's Cthulhu's in it. <laughs> well, it's in the freaking trailer. Look, I'm not going to call it good, but I am going to call it very well done. I mean, the script is schlock. There's plot holes in it that you could drive a fleet of Mack trucks through, but there's something to be said for good execution, and it's really well put together, and the effects are really good, and I got to the end of the movie and I'm like, I know what I watched was garbage, but damn, I had a really good time and I kind of want to watch it again. Do you know that's uh, actually stolen from a Delta Green adventure? Well, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully it was better than the one we went through. Oh, I'm a little spicy today. Look out. Hey, hey, we we ragged on it. I felt bad listening to it. I really did enjoy it. brought it on itself, landscapes. Robert. I, I had a good time. I, I don't want it to seem like I didn't have a good time. But it, it, it's possible to have a good time and then objectively look at something and say, but you are filled with errors and problems and, and you could be better. I, I'm not saying that. I just want to say. I, I mean, did. I'm perfect, but I could be better. I did. I did. Anyway, if you uh, <laughs> if if you if you're interested in the Delta Green Adventure, it's called I believe it's called Failed Anatomies. I might be wrong. Well, if you're interested in a, a truly schlocky movie that is actually somewhat 
well, not somewhat, is really well put together and super fun to watch, go watch Underwater. It's terrible. I loved it. All right, we ready for kind of middle of the road? Star Trek Discovery fired up again, and it continues to be Star Trek Discovery, which is the overly action-filled Star Trek where people cry a lot. And uh, yeah, that that happened. That happened. I'm still having fun, though. I like it. It's yeah, not great. Tra- I, I'm it's having- not great Trek. It's not great I, I, Trek. I didn't even get a chance to go back and wa- finish season three. I, I, I don't think- know why you hated season three as much as you did. It wasn't. It was I, terrible. It, it was not as good as season two, but it was not terrible. It was but, not. But that's terrible. the thing. Like season two, I felt like the show found its legs and it found its voice. And the second half of season two was in my opinion, uh, some of the best Trek I've ever seen. And then season three comes along. It's like, hey, remember when we were firing on all cylinders and we found our voice and everything was great? No, we're, we're done with that. We're just going to go back to not understanding what we are again. And that's why, I, that's why I got frustrated with it. And plus, it was like the same damn thing over and over and over again. Characters get in trouble. People start crying. Problem is solved. Rinse, repeat. Episode nine. Let's go. And And, and how can you say that's not like every episode of TNG ever. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not. And TNG went through a lot of growth pains too, but you know what? It had some stretches of truly great stuff. And honestly- Even late season, that was like the formula. People get in trouble. Yeah. People didn't cry, but- But TNG laid the the, the groundwork for the third through final episode, or or, pardon me, third through final season of Deep Space Nine, which were friggin' phenomenal. And so, then it begat Voyager, which was not as phenomenal. So I'm just saying. No, it stumbled, but it too, near the end of its run, found its voice. And then same with Enterprise. And I, I feel like this one found its voice and then it did an abrupt U-turn and, and walked away from it. You know, I think I would rather watch Discovery than Voyager any day of the week. So I, a Voyager. I have a lot of fond time memories of Voyager. It was a really fun time in my life with some really good people. So I, I will forever be enamored with it i Uh, I look upon voyager with rose tinted goggles oh voyager voyager is filled filled oh it's filled with problems without a doubt very reasonable interesting ideas that are incredibly poorly executed yeah like across the board not wrong like they never they never shook that it 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 never failed like they always would would bork it up somehow where they would have a perfectly interesting idea and then just really screw it up and, and part of it, part of it was Rick Berman didn't want there to be episodic, ep- episodic episodes. So like, yeah, like, well, Rick Berman was part of the problem. Yeah. Well, their, their plan originally was season three was going to be the year of hell. And he said no. And so it became a two parter. And it's like, <sighs> like I said, Rick Berman, part of the problem. He was back then and he still is now like looking back. In fact, I, I think looking back actually enhances his failure as a, a producer. So. All right, moving right along. Um, I started Cowboy Bebop, and the reason that I haven't made a decision yet is because I really enjoyed the first episode. Uh, this is the live-action version, of course. Yeah, I actually watched the first episode, too, and then we just didn't continue. Like, well, it I, just... I'm going to continue. The problem is I don't know if it can hold it for an entire season. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoyed the first episode, and I thought it was really good and a good use of the property and and interestingly put together but like i don't know if this lasts a whole season i don't know if this this idea has legs yeah yeah well we watched the first episode and then got distracted with other stuff and i i haven't been back yet so i'm, I'm going back to you cowboy bebop i'm not leaving you behind either god if i can slog through wheel of time i can certainly get to get back to you because you deserve more that's true so uh star trek prodigy ended its first half of its first season 
I need to go back and watch that. I haven't watched that yet. It, I, you know what? The purple guy started talking less. So I, everything I want out of that show, I'm starting to get, which makes me happy. <laughs> what you're saying is that Grimace is no longer a leading character? He's, he doesn't look like Grimace. He looks like a, a purple 14-year-old. No, the character that looks like Grimace is awesome. She's pink, and she's a, uh, her name's a Rock, Ta- Rock Tank, and she's amazing. Is she friends she's, with a Hamburglar? No. no. This, this is dead to me. No, oh God, Rock, Rock Tank is amazing. She uh, she's voiced by an eight year old girl. So imagine an eight year old girl, right? And, and everything that means. So you know, like everything stereotypically it means. So you know, she likes cute things. She's kind of sensitive. Blah blah blah. And this eight year old girl is seven feet tall, um, almost as wide as she is tall, made out of rocks and incredibly super strong. Like strong enough, she just burst out of the side of a shuttlecraft just by throwing her shoulder into it because she was mad and wanted to get out. I want you to know that I might have just stumbled upon internet gold. Mm. I did not realize this. There's an entire Wikipedia dedicated to McDonald's, specifically the McDonald Land commercials, of which Grimace is a part of. And I'm going to read you you the, the, the beginning of the entry here. Okay, I just want you to know I'm a little upset that you're taking him away from Rock Tank. Like, she's she's the best, but go on. I haven't watched it yet. I, I will watch it, and then we will talk about Rock Tank. Okay. Grimace is a character featured in McDonald Land commercials. He is rotund, purple being of intermediate species with short arms and legs. He's known for his slow-witted demeanor. His most common expression is the word, duh, before every sentence. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He was voiced by Frank Welker. Incorrect. Frank Megatron Welker, thank you very much. Yes, Frank Megatron Welker, which I, <laughs> I did not realize. No, it tracks, it tracks. Voice work in the 80s, like there weren't a ton of them. Originally, Grimace was the evil Grimace with two pairs of arms with which to steal milkshakes. <laughs> After the first campaign, the character was revised to be one of the, quote, good guys, end quote, and his number of arms was reduced by two. I like it. This Wikipedia entry is freaking amazing. It keeps going. Uh, Grimace had uh, a family that included an unnamed mother, an unnamed father, a grandma named Winky, a great-great-grandma named Jenny Grimace, and a possible brother, unconfirmed, named King Conga. No, excuse me, King Gonga, who rules over all Grimaces. Better than Chewbacca's family in the holiday special. Apparently, he also has two aunts named Millie and Tilly. By the way, Jonathan, have you have you really thought about the holiday special? Have you really thought that like Grandpa Chewbacca watches basically softcore porn in front of his family on VR goggles? I'm just yeah. saying. No, I mean you're not wrong. Everything about the holiday special is garbage and trash. But damn it, Life Day <laughs> exists. <laughs> All right, so I'd like to. Are are we moving into the better than average stuff yet? Yeah, yeah, we're getting we're getting going up the scale. Okay, uh, so I watched the first two episodes of Hawkeye. Uh, I haven't I haven't started yet. There's t- okay. t- they released too many uh, series this this last like month. It's been a wealth of choice. That that's true. Uh, I'll say um, it, it's in the better than average camp in my book. Like I I don't know. I've got my I got my problems with it, but we'll we'll see if it all shakes out. If if it's going somewhere interesting, I don't know. We'll we'll see it. I don't know. There's only six episodes and we're kind of, I don't think we've hit like the end of the first act yet. If that makes sense. Watch it. I, 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 I did enjoy it. It's nice. Uh, it's nice to see that Clint, you know, even though he's 
a super spy secret agent guy. I mean, you know, Jeremy Renner is like 50 odd years old now, you know? So like them actually talking about how he's getting old and, you know, hurt is kind of fun. Cause Clint has a, has a ear, a, a, a hearing aid now, you know that? I don't recall. Was that in the last movie? I don't think it was. Was it? no, no, no. It's for this. Yeah, Clint, Clint's had a hearing aid for a while in the comics, but yeah, this is this is new for the the MCU version. Well, I don't know. Anyway, I, I it, it's cool that you know the the only Avenger who's just a normal dude. You know, he's he's taking a few bumps. He's he you know it's good it's good that they show it. No, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. All right, I see something here that we both did. Shang Chi. Yeah, I like Shang-Chi. That's the one I... <laughs> I did too. I, I for, it was awesome. I forgot how much I liked it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about them bringing the Mandarin back, uh, uh, the, the the fake Mandarin. Um, oh, I think it, it made sense in context. It, it was yeah. nice. It was a nice nod to the rest of the universe, a, a good way to connect it in. But uh, other than that, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, fake Mandarin was funny. He was some good comedic relief, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, how about, I don't know if the movie really needed him. I don't know that it did, but I think it, it it's a good reminder of what universe it's in and it helps it connect it to the, the, the bigger experience. I'm, I'm glad they did it. I, it worked that's, for me. That's fair. Because otherwise it would have been perhaps a little too standalone. Uh, I actually do want to see that character in more stuff. Like Me too. Me too. And I thought the fight scenes were really well shot. Like, it was great. You know what? I Actually, the one I thought was interesting is apparently back in the 70s, there was an arc where Shang-Chi and Spider-Man teamed up for uh, <laughs> for an dope. adventure. And it was mostly a Shang-Chi thing. So Spider-Man was just kind of like along for the ride with all this like, you know, Asian mysticism stuff going on, which I'm sure because it was the 70s was horrifically racist and I don't want to read it because of that. But... Uh, updating that concept to the modern age where, you know, it's just, you know, Peter Parker, like Tom Holland hanging out with, you know, Shang-Chi and, and them just being goofy buddies together. Cause I, I could see those two characters in this incarnation also getting along because they're both kind of nerds. Yeah. Not even kind of, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would love to see that movie. That'd be f- just like a buddy, a buddy cop or a buddy superhero movie with, you know, Shang-Chi and, and Spider-Man tagging along and yeah. Oh, it'd be fun. <laughs> All right, well, I'm up to my final thing, and I'm just going to say a little bit about it without going into it, because I'm hoping that you watch it so that we can have a more in-depth discussion about it. Uh Uh-huh. I watched The Green Knight. Oh, is that streaming somewhere? Did you rent it? No, I I, I ended up buying it on disc. I was so enamored by the trailers, and I'm really glad I did. It was amazing. Wait, that means it's out, which means I should probably put it on my listed library. Yes, absolutely (laughs) you should. It was really good, but I'm, I am i don't want to go into it too much because I really, really want to talk to you about it once you've then, seen it. Then don't. Hold on. I'm, I'm adding it to my list. Let's see how far back in the chain I am. Available, but oh, wow. That's that's bad. It is available, but not holdable, which means it's so popular that you just have to go in and, and find it. They do that sometimes for things if it's too popular. So I will have to keep a lookout on the new release shelf when I go in. Well, good to I, know. I, I wish you good luck because it was amazing. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of movies and TV. It is now time for us to go into reading. I finished Truth of the Divine, uh, which is the new Lindsay Ellis book. Um, it's a relatively dark, uh, dark stop in, in this particular universe. Much darker than the first book. Is it? Well, it's the Empire of the Trilogy. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see where they go from here because they took a pretty drastic turn. I mean, it makes sense in the context of everything and the 
the topics that they are discussing are, are highly relevant to our current world. They're doing it, of course, as all good sci-fi does in the, the through the lens of the science fiction universe. But it, it it's really it's shining an important light on some things. Um, then I, I read a little novella. Uh, it's called The Werewolf's 15 Minutes. It's a, a, a short novel uh, by a horror writer whose name completely escapes me. Uh, let me go ahead and look it up by Jonathan Mabry. Uh, he, 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 I've seen that he's written a, a bunch of horror stuff before, and he's actually pretty well regarded in horror circles, and I can see why. It's a really interesting little piece. If you can find it, it it's a very short read. You can probably read it in an evening. Uh, it's called The Werewolf's 15 Minutes. And then finally, I started Crash Override by Zoe Quinn, which is her um, autobiography of Gamergate. Uh, she was the chief person at the center of Gamergate. Uh, the person oh, I heard she had a book coming out. Yes, so it's it's out, and I've started reading it, and she has led a very interesting life, and the the topics that she's talking about are really important. So I, I I'll let you know how it continues, but it's pretty unsettling uh, that this sort of thing could happen, and w- will probably happen again to somebody, which is gross. W- way way to leave me trying to f- follow that up with you know, thanks, Jonathan. We're a show about the yuck yucks and. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes you just got to read serious books. And sometimes you have to read somebody's fan fiction churned real. So a long, long time ago, I got myself a book called The Undead, where uh, Joel E. Emerson took the original 100-page outline to Dracula and then took the what came of that and tried to basically make the book as if Bram Stoker made his original idea for Dracula, which is to say it made it significantly longer and more boring, especially at the end. I don't know that that book needed that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think any book needs that treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Dracula unredacted for the Dracula dossier. It's built on some of the same stuff, but they wisely, kept it short and wrote most of those characters out by the, by the third act when they go to Europe and start chasing Dracula around. But, Oh my God, Jonathan. Oh, Oh, maybe maybe there's a reason that the original author cut them out. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's a classic for a reason gang. Yeah. 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 I would not recommend it unless you're a Dracula super fan and you just really, really. So the way I described it was, okay. So if Dracula was a movie, right. Dracula Unredacted for Night's Black Agents is like a really good director's cut. Like you get stuff that's kind of you don't need, but, you know, it's kind of interesting that it's there. Uh, Most importantly, I do like that they show that Dracula was like actually doing things in London because that's like one of the failings of the book. Like it seems like Dracula gets to London, parks all his dirt in Carfax and goes like, well, you know, phase one, get all my dirt out of Transylvania and park it in Carfax. Phase two, phase three, world domination. And it's like, what are you doing, guy? And in the outline, he was doing stuff. And and that's like a lot of the characters he cut. That's the part that got cut was that part of it. And again, I say maybe that was for a good reason. Well, no, but it's like, what is he doing there for months besides sitting on boxes of dirt and Carfax? Like, it's stupid. Anyway, anyway, Dracula Redacted goes into that just enough where it's interesting. And then they, they just write all those characters out and it's over. And then it's pretty much the original ending, which is good, which is good. This book, on the other hand, is like is like HBO took that, made it into a 10 episode miniseries, and they pretty much, you know, probably could have made it a seven episode miniseries, but it's 10 instead. It's just 
You gotta let you gotta know when to let go of the note. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So like just everything's longer and more boring. Like that's that's pretty much the end of it. And and it's kind of sad too, because like the part the part that it was the most interesting was when Dracula gets to England initially, because again, what he is actually up to in England, like when he crashes at Whitby and all of that, that's interesting. And, and like, I, I, I like that part. I like knowing that Dracula is doing stuff and not just like passively sitting there. Like it seems he's doing in the original novel. That's like the one complaint I have about the original novel. And it's, and that part's good. I like that stuff, but the part with Jonathan and Dracula's castle is significantly longer. I mean, him getting there is significantly longer for like no reason. And then in the castle is significantly longer and it adds nothing except like, uh, one of the brides like actually talks to him. And then the finale, like they're just, there's pages and pages and pages of them just sort of roaming around Europe, trying to figure out where Dracula is going to land his boat because it takes three weeks to get, you know, by boat to the, the Danube river, but they take the train and it takes like three days and it's like, and, and they really go over what happens, what happens during the 19 day lead that they have on Dracula there. It, it's in depth. <laughs> it's like, Oh God, just get along, get to the end for the love of God. Like I said, maybe this all got cut for a reason. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would agree. So if you're a Dracula super fan, go ahead and track that down. It's, it's actually a good read for that. But if you are not, and you just want a good director's cut, I would still recommend the, the Dracula Unredacted for Knights Black Agents. It's uh, it's a good read if you've read Dracula a few times and you want to shake it up a little bit. Well, speaking of Knights Black Agents, we sat down and made our Knights Black Agents characters. Yes. Yes, we did. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I really liked, I, I liked the, the character building a lot. I, I'm really excited about this. I was just on Reddit, actually. <laughs> so Non sequitur here, but I apologize. Uh, somebody was asking, like, you know, why... D&D is so big and D&D part of the reason D&D is so big is because D&D is so big. Like if you're sitting down to play a D&D game, even if it's in somebody's homebrew world, because it's built on the, like the same aesthetic and tropes that all of D&D is built on. Like it, you don't have to do a lot to communicate the setting, you know, it's, it's D&D it's D&D is it's, it's thing. Right. And, and I'm like, that's why I like playing modern day games because we don't have to take a class in lore you know, whereas if someone's not familiar with, say, Dune and you tried to play the Dune RPG, like, ooh, like how, how would you communicate the setting of Dune in a succinct <laughs> matter? Yeah, there, there is no such thing as a succinct retelling of Dune. Right, right, right. I mean, much you can tell them to watch the movie. Complexity. Yeah, that, that's why I was just thinking that's why I like playing modern games, because I, I, I don't have to communicate the setting to you. You know what the streets look like. You, you get it. That's what I recommend if you if you just want to play something not D&D, go, go for a spy game or go for monster hunting or whatever. Something that doesn't have a college course in lore. So, like, not the World of Darkness games because, holy God, do they have a college course in lore. But Yeah, they're kind of even worse than D&D. Uh, and they're significantly worse than D&D because they're, they're niche, and, that, and that's a problem. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. If, if everybody's got buy-in and everybody knows it, like, those games can be rewarding. But I've never been in a group where everybody has enough. Because I also, unfortunately, I'm, like, a lore nerd. So when I make up stories for that stuff, I tend to go deep. And if you're not as deep w- with me in the lore, it's just not going jo- to make sense. You know? So. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, move it. Let's, let's round it out with video games. What have you been playing? Uh, well, the kids were home. So I got uh, League of Legends, the, the League of Legends story, The Ruined King, made by our friends at Airship Syndicate, which is kind of Battle Chasers 2, 
kind of. But I can't play it because the kids were home and the, some of the cutscenes get a little dark, even though most of it's not that dark. But uh, one of my children is kind of sensitive to the stuff like that. So I couldn't play it when he was around, which since everybody was home for Thanksgiving because they got the entire week off because it was also parent teacher conference days on Monday and Tuesday. So the kids weren't in school the whole week. I didn't really get a chance to play it the whole time. So that sucks. <laughs> so I, it was, I, I haven't even picked it up yet. I want to. I just I've been too busy with my games. It's probably for the best. Uh, according to stuff I've been reading, there's a fair amount of bugs like they need to do a patch or two to just get rid of some of the stuff. Well, I uh, I played the new Halo multiplayer because it came out early for uh, Xbox's 20th anniversary. Yeah, you mentioned that last time. Oh, did I? Yeah, uh, I've been continuing to play that. It's uh, it's fun. I, I found my little happy place with it. It's it needs a weapons balance very badly. Did you buy the battle pass or whatever? Uh, I did, and it's very frustrating. That's what I've heard. Um, the 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 problem is that there are the the battle pass you have to complete specific objectives to advance in it. It's not like battle passes in other games where any XP you earn still chips away at the battle pass. This one, the only way to to earn XP for the battle pass is to complete specific objectives. And sometimes those are tied to things that are um, very specific and it's very difficult to get into games reliably uh, that have those particular um, needs. So like, I had to do a a territorial control. Uh, I had to do three rounds of that. But the only place that I could find that that it comes up in is big team battle and uh, in just the quick play mode. And I unless I'm missing some kind of server browser someplace that I just completely missed, which could very well be. It was just frustrating because I had to play like 25, 30 rounds just to get the three rounds that I needed because they just weren't coming up in, in the random rotation. It was just bad luck, but it was just like, yeah, I would really like to to complete this. That's weird. Well, I, you know, nothing that can't be patched, right? And this is just my opinion. Who knows what other people think? Uh, but um, speaking of opinions, I also got a chance to really dig into Forza Horizon 5. And man, that game just keeps getting better. Just amazing. Amazing game. And then I'm continuing my playthrough of Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm having a great time. That game makes me smile. It makes me smile in a big way. And I really think that you should play it on the PlayStation. Uh, I think I have it on my library list. I'm just inundated with games. I, I got like Tales of Arise and Back for Blood, and I barely put any time into them because for the same problems I was having with the Ruined King, to be honest with you. And it's like, why? I almost don't want to put time into rentals right now because it's like I, I bought, just bought this shiny thing. I want to use it, you know? All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our first segment, which means, of course, it is break time. And when we return, it'll be time for our Wisdom of Crowds segment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. Or as I like to call it in the middle of December, um, the complete dearth of information. All right, well, let's start out with uh, Klaus. Is it Tuber? 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 I don't know. 
you might recognize that name. It's kind of a big deal. He is, of course, the designer of the strategy board game, a little something that you might have heard of, Catan. He's written a new memoir, and it's titled rather appropriately, My Journey to Catan. And you can get a beautiful, luxurious, filled with Corinthian leather. I don't know if that part's true. Uh, hardcover slipcase version of the book uh, published by Aconite. And so in the book, amongst the rest of his life, he talks about the origin of Settlers of Catan. Uh, he talks about his, his childhood, what it was like to be an amateur board game uh, inventor, uh, when he started getting su- successes, and then all the way up to when Catan blew up uh, in 1995. Is there anything about the weird or the, the the Catan company that likes to protect the story of Catan, whatever that means? I don't know. I don't know. But um, I do know that there are a lot of pictures, apparently, in the hardcover version of it, and that it's limited, highly limited, to only 1,000 copies. But each of those copies is signed by Klaus. So it will be available from the Asmodee North America um, uh, website and the Catan shop starting on December 3rd, 2021. Well, the Griffin and Gargoyle Project has announced plans that it will build a Dungeons and Dragons inspired restaurant in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is projected to open sometime in the spring of 2024. Yeah, it seems like a pretty good place to open it, although I don't know how big is Lake Geneva these days. I don't know. I don't know either. The new restaurant will feature an immersive experience aimed at fans of fantasy properties. It will consist of three sections, the Griffin and Gargoyle Tavern, Curated Curiosities, and the Gnome Alchemist. The restaurant will be in the Griffin and Gargoyle Tavern, staffed by a cast of fantasy characters and tavern keepers. Curated Curiosities will be a retail space to look like a wizard's uh, antiquity shop, and it'll showcase handcrafted artifacts, accessories, and clothing. And the Gnome Al- Alchemist will be an artificer-themed bar that serves patrons a variety of unique beverages, and it will offer dry-iced-infused concoctions. Lake Geneva, by the way, population 7,894, elevation of 879 feet. It's in the 262 area code, if you're interested. Well, here, here this has got me interested. They uh, mentioned specifically the Star Trek experience. Maybe I'll be able to get some version of the Borg Sphere. I friggin' missed the living daylights out of the Star Trek experience. I stayed in that Hilton so many times, specifically to just cruise around the bar. Right? Right? Yeah, I went there on my wedding day. I'm way (laughs) bummed out that that doesn't exist anymore. I thought it was going to be there forever. Had I known it was going to disappear, I would have done it another 30 times. Yeah, me too. We did manage to go and write it all again uh, right before it closed, like about a month or two. But yeah, it was sad. I wish good stuff didn't go away like that. Yeah. I wish there was a a place for like retired uh, theme parks to go live and be visited forever by the small amount of people that care. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing beats that first time on that. The first ride. Man, that was amazing, right? Like I, 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 I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I have never had my sense of reality shattered ever, uh, until then. Like just, I, I, I didn't know what was up and down anymore. I, I, I agreed. I was was just so in that zone. (laughs) Like you do it again and you, and you, you want to know what the magic trick is, but man, that first time when you don't know it's coming, 
I'm talking about it like it's a spoiler because it doesn't even exist anymore. But man, man, yeah. When that thing, you, you get beamed and when you get beamed and you're, it, it's just like the f*** is going on. Like it's so weird. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, good luck to Griffin and Gargoyle. Hopefully they can stay in business. It's Lake Geneva is not too far from something, right? Like it's, is it a burb these days or what? Uh, let's take a look. I'm uh, zooming in. I'm zooming out. Actually, what am I saying? It is in the middle of nowhere. It is outside of, uh, Milwaukee, uh, or if you're a fan of the Wayne's world, Milwaukee, which means the good land, the good land. Indeed. My friend, now it's kind of between Chicago and Milwaukee. Uh, Chicago's pretty out there, man. Like it's, 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 a, it would be considered a, if anything, a suburb of Milwaukee, but, uh, right, right. But it's, it's in between the two of them. Fun fact, if you head south from Detroit, you hit Canada. What? Weird, right? I was just zooming out on the map and saw Detroit, and that was a fun fact that somebody told me the other day, and uh, sure enough, it is. That is correct. Weird, right? Weird? Mm -hmm. It totally Mm -hmm. weirded me out, too. I was like, nah, but yeah. I don't know. Well, hopefully it works. Hopefully it works. I'm a little worried about the the location, <laughs> to be honest with you. I like the idea. I think the idea is sound. Yeah, uh, me too. It's uh, a relatively small area to be supporting something like that. Agreed. All right. Uh, well, The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim is being made into a board game. Uh, it will be a Hasn't that already happened? Or It was a miniatures game. It was a miniatures game. Never well, it's, it's coming from Modiphius, uh, and it will be a cooperative or solo adventure board game. Uh, and Modiphius, of course, uh, they've published quite a few things, uh, quite a few large things. Uh, they're estimating the time to be about 90 to 180, uh, 180 minutes. And yeah, it's a co-op adventuring in the, the land of Skyrim. And that's kind of awesome. Uh, apparently there will also be an expansion available called Dawn Guard in which you can become vampires. Oh yeah. I like the, the expansion in the actual game. And there will be another uh, expansion called From the Ashes, uh, which will have ghostly uh, adversaries to fight. So there you go. There you go. Well, my last story, Jonathan, on Black Friday of all days, uh, Paizo Publishing that they had stealth launched uh, about a week or two ago, having some of their titles be print on demand over at the DriveThru RPG, specifically some stuff that is out of print. Such things like the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon, uh, the Pathfinder Chronicles campaign settings, uh, Council of Thieves, the Rain, and Win- Rain of Winter story, and Return of the Rune Lords, Adventure Paths, etc. Which, gosh darn it, more friggin' companies need to do, especially the print-on-demand thing. Like, ugh. I can't... Uh, I, In the current mm. environment, it makes perfect sense. There's right? Your, there's your shipping problem fixed. Yeah, yeah. Especially if your company is sitting on really, really niche stuff. I mean, I guess licensing would be a problem for some stuff, but still, man, like there, there's just some old properties that, you know, just need a little love sometimes, or maybe they were just made out of era or maybe they should work to get the limited licensing back. Cause like, holy God, like the, the D and D three X version of the wheel of time RPG, it's like $200 a book now if you buy it. Cause it's yeah. Anyway, figure it out. People, we live in the future that's all I got to say. Well, I've got one more, uh, and that is that um, Jerry Hawthorne uh, is teaming up with Plaid Hat Games once again and releasing Familiar Tales, 
which is uh, another cooperative game, although this also features, uh, it's one of the narrative games, kind of similar to um, Mice and Mystics or Stuff Fables, but this has a deck building aspect associated with it. And um, you play a magical familiar who is trying to protect a child from evil as they grow up. And apparently the time span of the game is well over a decade uh, in terms of the events that you are partaking in. And characters grow and improve with each session um, as you get additional cards to improve your familiar. That sounds awesome. I'm way into it. And like Jerry Hawthorne makes a fine game. Like I really enjoyed Stuffed Fables and I really enjoyed Mice and Mystics. Nice. So there you go. Familiar Tales, which is currently available for pre-order from the Plaid Hat Games website or, of course, your FLGS. I dig it. If you get it from the Plaid Hat website, by the way, you get a limited time available uh, Forager's Market Supply Tray. Ooh. So there you go. You can bling your game. All right. Well, that's it for the news, my friend. So that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment. Uh, which means it is now time for a king in all things. Welcome, my friends, to part seven of our thirty-nine part series, a king in all, th- uh, a king in all things, where we are watching Stephen King movies based on novels and novellas in order of their release date. And we have a couple extras packed in there just for fun. Uh, we are currently in the sixth film of the series, and we are f- smack dab in the middle of the nineteen eighties with nineteen eighty-five's Silver Bullet. Made for a budget of $7 million, it made $12.4 million. It was originally based off of the book The Cycle of the Werewolf, released in 1983. Fun fact, Cycle of the Werewolf started life as a calendar project where Stephen King was going to write a blurb of, uh, you know, text, I guess, um, about each month about a werewolf killing spree over a year. And it blew up out of proportion and became kind of more of a novella instead. Uh, I read it back in the day. It was all right. I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know know what to say about it. The book was directed by Dan, uh, wow, Atteus, Atteus? Atteus? I don't know. Atteus? If anybody knows, let us know. Uh, This is his only film credit, but he has directed a lot of TV before and after, uh, including most recently, like Walking Dead and stuff like that, like, you know. Oh, so he's still acting. Yes, yes, he is. There you go. And, and he's directed some good stuff. Uh, I, yeah, I vaguely remember looking at his list. And I was like, oh, he directed all of that. How cool. This is a weird movie, man. <laughs> and not, not, not weird for content, just weird because it's simultaneously great and wrong and terrible. Okay, so I, I mentioned previously, I mentioned previously that the sin Firestarter made was it was boring. This is not boring. I said last time I can, I can forgive bad because bad movies can be entertaining, but it's really hard to forgive boring. And no, Silver Bullet was far from boring. I had a great time watching it. Like no, it, it was, was super fun and super engaging. I mean, probably because it was based on a novella. Like, it didn't have too much story to tell, you know? It was just the right amount of story. And it was so off the wall in parts. Like, just, just like... Oh, cuckoo banana pants. Yeah, yeah. Like, I highly recommend watching it but uh, i guess spoiler alert a werewolf beats not one but two people to death with a baseball bat and it's like why is a werewolf using a baseball bat one does when you are a werewolf right yeah right right like when that happened i i I laughed out loud like i lost it i i thought it was the funniest thing i'd ever seen and then it happened again and that i don't know how that made it better but it's the gift that keeps on giving at that point yeah, yeah, because it wasn't a fluke at that point. That werewolf wanted to use that bat. <laughs> yeah, the werewolf was enjoying it. 
All right, let's let's talk about some of the uh, the, the rough things right away. This is a product of the '80s, and therefore, it is important to note. Um, go into this knowing that you're going to hear and see some things that would be considered most uh, unacceptable by today's standards. Yeah, there's some casual, uh, you know, misogyny. Yeah, casual misogyny. Uh, there's definitely some uh, casual usage of terms for uh, disabled folks that just don't fly. Uh, On that note, though, besides them using those words, like I, there wasn't a character in that entire thing that, that was, was like even remotely close to offensive. Well, and and like they they never treated uh, Corey Haim is in a wheelchair in this, and they they never treated Corey Haim like you know. Like he was a burden or anything? Like that no, just never came up. No, not at all. He's, he's yeah. a hero. In fact, editing Robert here. So I want to I want to explain a little bit more about this train of thought I'm having because I got off of it and it makes me sound bad. And I don't want to sound bad because this is what I meant. What I meant was that in 80s movies, especially if somebody has a disability, they usually bring it up. Like not them, but like another character brings it up. Like usually the mom or the dad. And there's usually this some moment that, oh, you're doing so well raising a boy or whatever. And this movie doesn't even go there ever. It's it's just a character trait that Corey Haim or Corey Haim one of the Cor- the Corey that's in this movie. It's a character trait he has, and it's not it's it's handled fairly progressively. And it was somewhat surprising. And you know, having watched a lot of '80s movies uh, over the the course of this podcast, and just seeing how badly they mess stuff up it was really weird seeing a movie from 1985 uh just get it right so yeah that's what i meant sorry i didn't explain it back to the show if, if anything like i i love the way gary Busey treats that character like uh un- the uncle uncle red i love the way uncle red treats marty in in the whole movie it's it's he's just marty yeah, no, I, I honestly, I thought that was, it was oddly, like, besides some bad uses of words, like, it was, it was oddly, it was oddly, like, modern in that sense, because it just never came up. Like, it, it was it, just, mar- I, was it weird for you to see that in the mid-1980s? Like, I, I was like, what the hell is, and it made the movie age pretty well, too, because of it. Yeah, no, it, it, there was that, there was diversity in the cast, like, there were a lot of really strangely modern elements to the film. Yeah, yeah, agreed. and then and then you, they would say dialogue that was just absolutely unacceptable, and and you'd be re- very quickly reminded this is the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about some more uh, some some of the good stuff. Uh, I thought Gary Busey was awesome, and uh, he has a tendency to be over the top for, for this particular piece. It actually works, and you could tell he was having a really good time in this movie. Yes, yes, you could, and uh, and it elevated everybody else because Gary really Busey was did. having a good time and yeah, you know, but like it, it, it made the whole piece work because people were having fun being there and it, 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 it wasn't a good movie and everybody no. knew that, but they were just having a good time. And it was, like, I was having a good time with them at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's really important to talk about, uh, Everett McGill in particular, or as I'm now calling him, uh, Reverend Stilgar. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was menacing in, all the right ways. Are, are we going to give the spoiler out? So, so the the all movie. Right. Spo- spoiler alert! Spoiler. Okay, alert. so the, the movie Major is kind of a who- inbound. Yeah, uh, the 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 movie's kind of a who done it because somebody's a werewolf and you don't know who until about the middle of the movie. It turns out to be spoiler alert: the Reverend. That is the one problem I had with the movie was his character kind of had a heel turn just on a dime. I get, I, I just don't think they had the time to get into it. Um, but while I was watching this thing, I was, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, like, 
this story could be turned into like a 12 part HBO miniseries that was a little bit more friggin' amazing. It would be a little bit more dramatic. And because the, the, the original book took place over a year, this takes place over like a summer basically. Yeah. But like having 12 episodes where each episode is a month of the year where the, and, and the end of the episode is basically whenever the full moon was, and it would be a, you know, a werewolf killing (laughs) during that having the character of the Reverend figure out about midway through that he's the werewolf and then him kind of having the heel turn to, you know, because as a werewolf, he's killing like sinners and stuff. And, but you know, we're talking about people who are like justified. He's justified. I don't think he's, I don't think he's own mind in his own. Right. Right. But, but having a character who he's, he's taken a supernatural occurrence and justified it to himself using the constraints of what he believes. Which, which is, which it would make it basically the werewolf version of Midnight Mass, I guess. But yeah, but I, I, I mean, like maybe Midnight Mass took the the the, the idea from over here. And and actually, yeah. you know, it's funny that you bring up Midnight Mass because the entire time I was watching that that movie, I was thinking the same thing about how it would be a really good miniseries, and I would love to see Mike Flanagan's take on this material because there's yeah the the whole time I was watching this movie, and I think you texted this to me. There's something good in there. There's something yeah. really good in there. This isn't the good execution of it, but it's in there. Like, there's something really good in there. Yes. To, to be yes. dug out. Yes, yes. And and they made it basically like an, a horror comedy, essentially. But it worked. It worked. And and I, I had a good time. I was entertained throughout. You know, like, Gary Busey elevated it like the story was interesting the werewolf kills people with a baseball bat for no reason and it was like the hell is going on i love this movie more now there, there's some really <laughs> good transformation effects uh but then there was also like the final werewolf form which had these bug eyes that were so bad yeah well i think they knew they had to like shoot them out as part of the storyline so they had to like make them able to be i don't know whatever oh anyway, man yeah. that one that one scene where you can see the eyes of the werewolf underneath the floorboard oh god it was so bad <laughs> but that said there's actually some really genuinely good and unsettling transformation effects in it and actually carlos happened to walk by my office when i was watching one of the transformations and he even stopped and was looking at it he's like what is this like how did they do that he 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 realized this would have been before cg and he didn't understand how they did it i had to talk to him a little bit about some some of the way that they did practical effects in the it's time. little teeny tiny air hoses that go yeah. into condoms and latex and puppets <laughs> so there you go um i i was pleasantly surprised i was too it's it's not a good movie i'm not going to defend no. it no, it's not a good movie, but it's a good idea, and this yep. is a kooky execution of it, but it's still enjoyable, and it's engaging. All right, no. so now, now the eternal question. We're, I'm, I'm looking at a list of a king of all things. Um, where do we park it? So to, to, so to I, remind everybody, we, we have a list going that where we are ranking these things as, as we watch them, and we're parking, uh, we're parking new entries after we watch them onto the list. And right now the list is Salem's Lot, Dead Zone, Christine, Firestarter, okay. Cujo, Carey. Okay, so I, it's got to go somewhere near Dead Zone. Like that's yeah, that's a no, given. I agree because it doesn't suffer from a lot of the problems that Christine did. Um, no, not at all. Which is bad script, good direction. I mean, this was this was a bad script and adequate direction, but it was it was still fun. Honestly, like, like I w- I would like to see John Carpenter directing Mike Flanagan scripts. 
Like that would Intrigued. be amazing, right? Like, are you with me there? Are you with me there? <laughs> We're off topic. So I'm I'm having I'm having a hard time because I almost want to rate it higher than the Dead Zone. I'll tell you why. Because the Dead Zone, it had too much story to tell, and it got boring at parts. And there were parts of the movie that kind of I got I got thrown out of the movie. But like it's, on every other note, the Dead Zone is better execution in every way, shape, and form. Right. But I was not nearly as entertained by the Dead Zone as I was by yeah. And that's where I'm having your, the real your struggle. Mileage may vary there. So I, right. I think it's, I think it's, I would say that it is in currently in third place. I think it's, it's better than Christine. Can we have it tied for second with the dead zone? Can we put them equal? No, I don't think we can. And, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you why I'm parking it behind the dead zone. And that's just because there were quite a few things that were just not executed on well, and they could have been. Because the the core idea is just so damn good, uh, so I I think that we we park it above Christine, because it doesn't suffer from some of the same issues that Christine does, but I don't think it's executed on quite as well as the Dead Zone. And I like the Dead Zone a little better than you did too. Well, that's why I'm saying can we compromise with a tie? Because I, I I I literally don't know where I would place it. Like let let's do this. Let's do this. Let let's let's tie it for now and ask the listeners, uh, anybody that has the guts, the gumption, if you will, to join us on part of this quest, go rent it. Uh, it's like two bucks, three bucks to rent on Amazon. It's worth the three bucks. I'll say that. Watch it and, uh, then do the same with dead zone, which I believe is streaming for free somewhere. And let us know what you think. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's tied for second, but if anything gets shoved in between it, then I will, I will untie it at that point. Cause I, I would say that it's tied for second unless something goes in between it, in which case it's under. Is that well, fair? Yeah, Is obviously. that a fair compromise? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. I, yeah, I, I, I think it's, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to make it tied for second in this that, thing. That I don't tie can be all, broken but. by something entering that spot. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I would agree to that. Like, I, I don't know which. Actually, I would watch Silver Bullet more just because I like bad movies more. And, and I, <laughs> I would be curious to hear uh, readers thought or readers. I'd be curious to hear listeners' thoughts on on those two, and and maybe we can break the tie with some some interesting evaluations from other people, or not. But yeah, no, seriously, this of all Salem's Lot and and this are definitely worth a rental. Salem's Lot is oh, just yeah. surprisingly good, like all around. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, th- and Mike Flanagan, because I know obviously you're a fan of the show. Um, obviously, I mean, why wouldn't you be? Uh, if you're out there, call me. Email me, uh, reach out to the show. A, we'd love to have you on. And B, um, yeah, I would totally like to talk to you about making this into a true miniseries because there's something beautiful there. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our King in All Things. Uh, what's next? What's in the part eight? You know what's wrong with our list, I just realized? What's that? Uh, I don't think we put The Shining on it. <laughs> Whoops. Well, I mean, there's only one place there's a shining ghost right now. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah, I would say it's at the top. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, obviously. Like, I, I didn't notice that it wasn't there, but at the same time, I, I also, there's no question about where it sits. I just realized that. Issues issues with, uh, <laughs> issues with Kubrick's direction aside. All right. Well, next time we are up for a treat, Jonathan. It is 1986's Stand By Me. Directed by the the oh Rob, we're, we're Rob Reiner to, yeah that 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 is universally renowned as a fantastic movie yeah I think it's been 25, 30 years since I saw it it's got the Will Wheaton and the other Corey River Phoenix good cast Jerry O'Connell you get to see him as little kids 
get to remind yourself that Jerry O'Connell, when he's a four-year-old, is married to Rebecca Romaine. And it's like, didn't see that one coming. Nope. You know what else I, 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 I'm tickled pink by? What else I didn't see coming? Rebecca Romaine and Jerry O'Connell are Star Trek characters now. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You, you know what I would personally love? I would love... I would be willing to pay... Mo- Actually, I guess I am paying money because I'm getting Paramount Plus for this. If in the next season of Picard, any character from Lower Decks showed up uh, as the person who's voicing them just as the character, I would pay money to see that. Even if it, even if they didn't crack a joke, even if they were just standing there and it was just like them there, I, I would love that. Ransom, played by Jerry O'Connell. I'd love it. Any, any of the Lower Decks characters is like slightly higher rank because it takes place 10 years later. Oh, it would be worth it. I would do, I, I would love that in a second. Wouldn't that be great, Jonathan? Yeah, I'd be down. The, well, the guy who plays the guy who plays Wee Huey in the Boys. That's who does that's who does Boy Merler's voice. Just dye his hair purple and have him standing in the background of Picard. It'd be great. There you go. Well, hey, <laughs> uh, while we're on the Star Trek, uh, let's just go ahead and transition into our Year in the Life segment because guess what we were playing a year ago. Uh, I know because I was the one who wrote this down. Well, then there you go. Let why don't you let everybody else know. Uh, we were playing Star Trek Adventures in our ill-fated game. Man, Star I was Trek totally down for that. I'm so bummed. I really liked my character. I had like a whole real complex backstory all set up for him. I know. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot of critiques of the game on uh, online, and a lot of people say that they don't get the 2D20 system and it's overly complicated. I'm not sure what they're saying, and I don't think we played it enough to ever get the sense of that, to be honest with you. No, but I can't say that it... Was any more or less complicated than anything else we've played? I don't know, man. Dune it's, had it's, a, a the Dune RPG is a, a little kooky that way. Like there's it, you're there's some calculation that needs to be done on every dice roll. Well, there's calculation that needs to be done on every dice roll of like D and D, and it doesn't matter. So I don't know, man. I don't yeah. know. I, yeah, no, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, that was uh, episode ninety nine. The the, yeah. the one right before the the big uh, the big milestone, which I can't believe it. We're almost a fifth of the way to the next hundred milestone. I think you were watching The Good Place back then. We're watching The Mandalorian. Oh, uh, man. I'm so stoked for Book of Boba. All right. Oh, so- God. Zar- Zardoz is on the list a second time. Maybe oh. I watched it the first. Maybe I watched it last episode and then I got you to watch it because I was talking about how n- just. I seem to recall was. that's how it worked. Um, I, you basically almost just, if I recall correctly, just shy of dared me to watch it. <laughs> and i being the fool that i am uh jumped on that grenade before there was even a fight <laughs> that sounds about right yeah that that, sounds about this, right. this tracks with us so, <laughs> yes a year ago we were torturing ourselves with sardos so good times <laughs> so that was episode uh ffd 99 are you blue yellow or red uh, it was the Star Trek Ar- Adventures RPG, um, Zardoz, and and more, and more. And I and I did the art where because my character was based on the Fonz. I was the ship's engineer. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. So I did the art that's on the episode of of the Fonz, giving the thumbs up. I'm very proud of that picture. I like that. I like it should that be. Image. It was great. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us to the end of the year in life, which means that it's time for another quick break. And when we return, it'll be our deep dive for the episode. We're getting to our Matt Damon. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. 
We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And, of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And in today's deep dive, we are taking a trip to Hadrian's Wall. When visiting the north of Britannia in 122 AD, the Roman Emperor Hadrian, oops, sorry, the Roman Emperor Hadrian Augustus witnessed the aftermath of a war between his armies and the savage Picts. In a show of Roman might, he ordered a wall be built that would separate the Pict tribes from the rest of England. Grand in its design, the wall stretched for 80 Roman miles from coast to coast. Hadrian's Wall stood in service to the Roman Empire for nearly 300 years before its eventual decline. In Hadrian's Wall, players take the role of a Roman general placed in charge of the construction of a mile castle and bordering wall. Over six rounds, players will construct their fort and wall, man the defenses, attract civilians by building services and providing entertainment, all while defending the honor of the Roman Empire from the warring picks. The player who can accumulate the most renown, piety, valor, and discipline while avoiding disdain will prove to the emperor that they are the model Roman citizen and be crowned Legatus Legionis? Question mark? I'm going to go with that. I don't speak Latin. Legionis. 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 Closer to Italian. Legatus Legionis. Nice. All right, Jonathan. So, how do you play this game? All right, so this is an interesting game. This is unlike a lot of things and like a lot of things that you and I have discussed on the show, Uh, but this is certainly a unique combination of things. It's part resource building, engine building. Uh, It's part resource management, and it's part kind of like, almost like a a roll and write, if you will. Okay. Because you've got a, a score sheet in front of you, and you're basically using that sheet to to build out your... Uh, your settlement. So the, the the whole game takes place over six years in the game, and it's what it is is just six rounds. Each each round is is one year, and in that round you're going to take as many actions as you can uh, to make the magic happen. And then at the end of that, there's a couple things that happen, and you rinse and repeat. That's that's the very basics of the game. I don't want to overcomplicate it because when you first look at this game, especially if you look at pictures of it, it's um, it can be very intimidating. Yeah, that board be, that board has a lot of icons on it. There's a lot, a lot going on. There's a lot going on. But Yeah, I could tell. But realistically, as much as it looks like there's a lot going on, it's it's a relatively straightforward game. At the beginning of each round, uh, you're going to select player cards. And you basically get to pull two cards uh, from a draw pile. One of those cards you're going to choose as a player card, and it's going to go at the top of your, your wall, so to speak. 
And that is going to basically give you some different ways that you can um, score uh, victory points. The other one uh, is going to become your path card, and that will basically give you a bonus in terms of the things that you get that round, uh, and that is printed on the bottom of the card. So the card that you add to your wall, you're going to slip underneath your score sheet at the top, uh, and the card that you use as your path, you're going to kind of put off to the side, and uh, you will reap the benefits from uh, from that. Kind of makes sense so far? Straightforward? Uh no, because I'm actually looking at this board and it's intense, but but keep going. <laughs> All right. Then you're going to uh, flip a fate card. Uh, and the fate card is basically going to be something that happens just that round. Um, and that is generally going to be a selection of materials uh, that you get at the beginning of the round. You're going to get all the workers and the resources that are pictured on the bottom half of that fate card. And those are going to come from the main supply and go to you. At that point, you're also going to look down at your score sheets and you're going to take a look at the engine that you've built so far and you're going to get the resources and the workers, uh, which are civilians and builders and things, uh, that, that you have generated at that point. And that's going to be basically how you start your round. You, you basically collect all of the resources that you have available to you and then you go to work. You get to take as many actions as you can during a year. And what this game becomes is it's a game about manufacturing combos. You're going to be looking for different actions that you can accomplish on your sheet that generate additional resources that let you take more actions, that generate additional resources that let you take more actions in any given turn. At the same time, you're trying to balance that with investing in your infrastructure to generate more resources for future turns by building out additional buildings. And that's really kind of what the main focus is of the, um, of the game. So if you look down at the score sheets, you see a lot of tracks. Some of those are attribute tracks, and those attribute tracks are going to run along the bottom of the left-hand sheet. There's actually two different types of score sheets that you have. Uh, the left-hand one tracks more of kind of your, your resource management and scoring. And the right-hand one is uh, basically your representative of your town and the different things that you can invest in uh, for long-term uh, resource generation. Kind of makes sense? Yeah. So there's all kinds of different things that you can invest in. Uh, you can invest in mining and foresting. You can invest in guarding your wall, which is important because at the end of every year, uh, the pikes come and they will attack you. And if you have not invested in your wall enough, then you, you basically are losing things. You can build out your wall even more. You can guard your wall with guards. Uh, and you can also man the forts that are um, along the wall uh, to, to, again, post a better defense. But here's the deal. The more that, that you want to do, the more you have to feed all the elements of that. And so therefore, you're also going to have to invest in your granaries. And if you look at the score sheet, you see how all the mining and foresting and the wall guards and everything are separated into three separate kind of sub-columns. And each of those has a granary associated with it at the bottom. So if you've not built out your granary, you can't build out all the stuff above it. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Then you have re basic resource production. Um, for instance, uh, your granary, to build out your, your medium granary from your small granary, which gives you access to the middle section of your wall, um, you would need to utilize two different types of workers and a stone. 
And so stone is one of the resources that you can produce in the game. And so you have to um, invest in the different attributes that get you those resource uh, production points. You have a training ground. At the training ground, you are generating uh, basically soldiers. And those soldiers are represented by uh, little blue um, wooden meeples. And then you have a variety of different things that you can buy into, which get you the the associated attribute. So if you look at the, the kind of the middle of the left-hand sheet, you see underneath um, your different resources there where there's like archways and monoliths and stuff. Okay. Okay. On the left-hand side, you see the cost. So for instance, if I want to build a monolith, I would spend one blue soldier and two uh, gray stone blocks, right? But that would yes. net me, that would net me two of the little soldier symbol. And if you look elsewhere on the sheet, that little soldier symbol uh, is down right beneath it. It's called discipline. And basically what that lets you do is color two of the boxes on your score sheet in that discipline track. Oh, okay. So you're trading resources for basically victory points because as you fill in that track, that becomes worth more and more points at the end of the game. And that's basically a tour of the left hand. On the right hand sheet, you have what equates to the different components of your city. So the, the, the right-hand sheet is basically what they call your citizen tracks, and that is the five distinct areas of Roman society. You have traders, performers, priests, apparitors, and patricians. And basically what you're doing, if you notice at the bottom of each of those um, are, again, another score track that you can do, and when you by filling out the score sheet on the left, when you trigger items that would pay you out with those uh, particular, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Icons? Yeah. Then you get to go over and basically color in one of the score points on that particular track, trying to get to the end. And sometimes on that track, you'll see that the the, the score point, the, the part that you color in, will have an icon in it, which nets you that particular resource. So you use resources to buy things. Those things help you fill out scoring pods, which gets you more resources, which lets you buy more things, which lets you fill out more scoring pods. And that's how you're building your combo engine into the end of the game. The first round is incredibly hard because you're sitting there and you're like, I have so little. I don't know where to invest. And by the sixth round, uh, it's almost like you're playing Killer Instinct with these ridiculously high combos. It just keeps going and you keep unlocking more and more and more. So this is really... At its core, an engine building game. I'm not going to lie, Jonathan. This iconography is intense, though. It is it's, intense. It's I'm, impressive. And yet at the same time, let me tell you, it's terrifying to learn. And then once you play it the first time, you're like, this all makes perfect, beautiful sense. Everything has a unique icon and a unique color. Everything corresponds to something else on the score sheet. So you just need to look around and find out where on the score sheet you're getting. And there's particular rules for a lot of things. So if you'll notice, the different civilian tracks have uh, several different scoring spots on the right-hand side that let you uh, basically invest in them. And depending on what you do, you get different things. And some things can only be done on certain rounds, and some things can only be done a certain amount of time. So you have to kind of really think about what you're investing in. There's there's no way you're going to get through the whole scoring sheet by the end of the game, but it is important to, to be very cautious about what you invest in. And there's dozens of different ways to win this game uh dif dozens of different motors that you can build you just have to figure out the one that works for you 
And then at the end of the game, you're going to look over at your left score sheet and you're going to look at how much renown, piety, valor, and discipline you've managed to uh, generate. And that's going to equate to a scoring uh, position. And that is the basics of Hadrian's Wall. But it is an intense, intense learning curve. But once you have learned it, it's a blast, man. It's super easy to, to play, super quick to play. Have you played this with any other live human people? I have. Who? And uh, a, a buddy of mine from the, the neighborhood. Um, and then did I play this with Dale too? Let me think. Hello, Dale. No, it was not Dale. It was not Dale that I played this with. Goodbye, was, Dale. I think it was my No Dale, Dale for you. Uh, this is like weeks ago. I, I had this prep like months ago. I think it was my buddy Demian. So yes, I've played it with, uh, I've played the solo version of the game and I've played the two player version of the game. And then I played it with a, a buddy of mine and his friend and we played the three player version of the game. The, the changes for the smaller player count, both one and two player are minimal. The game still behaves pretty much the exact same way. Uh, you just make some alterations to the decks to make them work better for that smaller player count. But really, honestly, your, your sweet spot here is is the, the max player count. Like, it, because everybody's working on their own city. You're not really ever messing with each other. And that's one thing I really, really like about it. And what's interesting is when you get to the end of the game, you look at everybody's score sheets and you see how everybody tackled the same problem a different way. And that's really cool. What is the max player count? We'll just scratch that one off right now. One to six players. And really... You could do more. Uh, I think that's what they have calculated out in terms of what they put in the box. Intriguing. According to the Board Game Geek, the community says that it's best with w- single player. Really? Yeah. I, I I, mean, I played it single player and I had a great time. Like, I, It's a fun puzzle. Like, I, You don't need anybody else. I mean, everybody's playing their own game. At the end of the day, it really is a single player experience one way or the other. Huh. Weird. All right. Well, that scratches off recommended player count. So let's do our normal shtick. How is that rule book at explaining this monstrosity? The first time you go through it, it's dense. It's all in there. I promise you. Uh, and there is a, a very nice iconography guide on the back that gives you a shortcut to what everything is called and what color everything is. Uh, but at the same time, there's really no index, which can be problematic. Um, but the rule book is laid out in a very logical way. And after you play through the first time, it's reasonably easy to find stuff because it's, it basically is filled out the same way your score sheets go. Um, but that said, your first time through this rule book, it is dense and there's a lot of iconography to, to, to learn. And the thing you have to remember is that you are building an engine and you're trying to make combos. So it's all about what icon do I get? Where else on the score sheet does that icon translate to something else that I get? Is there an index or a table of contents? No, unfortunately not. Tisk tisk. Okay. Um. So how are the components in real life? From my end, it looks like a lot of wooden meeples, and uh, the printing on the score sheets is actually surprisingly good. I, I guess it'd have to be because it's 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 dense. But you also you're right. All the different icons have different colors, and so they they do make those pop really well. Dis- in the distinctly printing. different colors, in fact, and they don't blend into the background either. Uh, yeah, no, I noticed that too because they're like pastels, <laughs> and then the the background is more earthy tones, which was smart. And and, and to be friendly to folks who who may have a, a color variance in their um, in their vision, all of the things also have different um, shapes, and I believe these are all colorblind friendly uh, colors as well. Yeah, no, they look it. I mean, like the score sheets are great. The, I'm not going to say that the printing isn't a little on the small side. 
Um, but I mean, you've got two score sheets that you're using every game, so it takes up a fair amount of table space. I don't know that this works if you build it any larger for your average table. But yeah, if you are find small print to be a challenge, this may be a challenge. Yeah, it'd be awesome if you uh, if you're just playing it single player mostly. You just get like a giant like you know restaurant size placemat that's like you know one of those cheap restaurants that's just laminated paper. And yeah, you know, honestly, like that's one thing that's missing from this. Just like Welcome to, I would have liked to have seen a uh, dry erase version of this game. Yeah, that is weird that they haven't done that. I mean, you could just go down to Office Max and get a score sheet laminated. But yeah, because a dry a, a dry erase version makes a lot of sense for this. The box yeah. is, is reasonably thick. That thickness is like 90% dedicated to the very thick score pads. <laughs> nice. All right. But aside so, from that, all the wooden components are very lovely. Uh, it's got nice wooden meeples. All the painting is lovely. The cards are of a, a, a good quality. And um, yeah, there's not a ton you know, you know, of it's nice components when you, beyond the score sheet. You know, it's nice. When you pointed it out, I totally saw it. Like, it is actually very good for color blindness. Cause, yeah, because yeah. the, the, the colors are all colorblind-friendly colors. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a nice little touch. And the colorblind-friendly, again, they're in pastels, so the earthy tones from the score sheets, like, you know, it does stand out, too. Yes, that, very much so. And, uh, I'll and bet everything you, on the score sheet also um, th- that you can earn uh, it has a white background to really make it pop. Yeah, and, I, and I was, I'm looking at the art. I bet you this art would get kind of, yeah, yeah, no, it'd work. That's, that's a nice touch. Nice touch. All right. Uh, Sorry, anything off in the execution of this game? The only thing that I would say is tough about this game is the learning curve. Your first game is going to be inherently slow. But about a quarter of the way through your first game, it's one of those games where it just clicks, you know? You can read that rulebook all you want. You need to get into the game to make it work. You need to understand how everything feeds into everything else. It's... It's about understanding the relationships and maximizing your production of additional resources in any given round uh, and and building towards specific goals that you've identified early on. So your first game will be a bit awkward because you will not know what you're building towards. Your second game and onward, this is a game about mastery. You You can understand it in one game, but mastery will come after 30 or 40 games. And even then, there's multiple paths to mastery, which I really, really like. And do you have any one last thing you'd like to say about this game before we bid farewell to our awesome listeners? This game's unique. It's different. It's resource building, but with a score sheet, which I don't know that I've seen a ton of. I've played plenty of resource games before, but never never with so many kind of subsystems to it. And it's really neat the way everything feeds into itself. And once you get your engine running and you start making your combos and you've you've chosen a path forward to to make your score, man, that is it's absolutely satisfying to to you know whip out these huge humongous combos where you're like, oh okay, I'll do this and this gets me these guys, which lets me do this, which gets me these guys, which lets me go and activate these two things on my sheet. Now I've got a new granary, which lets me activate these guys up here, and that gets me this, which lets me go and buy this and. It's just amazing. It just it everything flows into itself. And by the end of the game, you you just have this beautiful, wonderful engine. And it, it almost it almost pains you to to bring the game to a close because you're like, wow, one more round and I would have been able to like maximize this score sheet. <laughs> 
So it's it, it's it's an extremely challenging game to learn initially uh, because of the the sheer amount of iconography. But once you learn it, man, it is so satisfying. I really really like this game. But I do think it's important to point out that this is a game where you're not directly affecting one another. The reason that's important is because there is um, essentially it's a, it's a single player experience, even when you're playing with other people. All right. Well, that is Hadrian's Wall by Garpill Games and Renegade Games Studios. Available now. Came out this year. Wow. Yeah, I picked it up earlier this year. It's really great. I'm so glad that I bought this. I really enjoy playing it. But man, that first time I played, man, it was really, it's got a learning curve to it. I got to tell you, this is this is the rare game where I was able to pull nothing out of a YouTube video about it. I, I you really just need to get your hands dirty. You need to get in and make the make the engine run to understand it. When did this game come out? With how long have we had it on the back burner? Man, too long, too long. Um, it was released in April, so I picked it up in April. Wow. Because I picked it up uh, the day it was available at my FLGS, actually. I just happened to be there on the right day. And I was like, oh, I like Romans. This is cool. I'll give this a shot. Wow. Over half a year later. We're timely. That's what you get here at the Forgot My Days podcast. Well, we got a lot We got a lot going on. Uh, but more importantly, like I haven't heard a lot of people talking about this game. And it's, it's really good. Like I, I want more people to talk about this game because I really like it. Hmm. I've seen it described as a flip and write, but it really isn't about flipping. It's it's an engine builder. Engine and write? I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means it is the end of another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Episode 119 is in the can. So... Once again, before we close out, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Discord is uh, definitely the most active as of late. And Robert, any final thoughts? Yeah, I feel kind of bad about Impossible Landscapes. We spent a lot of last episode pissing and moaning about it. I realized that when I was editing it. Because I had I had a good time. I did have a good time. I think the important thing is we both had a really good time playing it. But it there were some ways to make it better. There's some very clear paths that would have streamlined it. We almost gave it a bad review, though. And it's like, it, it doesn't deserve a bad review. We just really harped on its shortcomings. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll fix it with the uh, the overview. Should you read this? We were, we were talking about during the break. We're going to give Jonathan a buy and let him read it over Christmas. So uh, next episode... I've got three I, weeks off, so I will be able to sit down and read things. Yeah, so, so next episode, I think... Are we going to do predictions or the outcomes? I think predictions, right? Uh, I don't think we do outcomes till the following year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll do predictions next for predictions for 2022. All right. Uh, well, then Robert, really, there's only one thing left to say, and that is to be excellent to one another and party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. 